Isaiah chapter number 26. We'll be looking at the entire chapter. Lord willing, we'll make it all the way through tonight. If you got a bulletin, uh, prayer bulletin, you notice there's a lot of blanks to be filled in. And so we've got, uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, I do my best to break it down enough to where we can understand it, but not so much to where it's overly complicated. Once you've found Isaiah 26, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And there are a handful of verses throughout the book of Isaiah that we're all familiar with. Verse 3 is one of those verses. The Bible says in verse 1, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Here's the song. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for the walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Look at verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Now, we're going to look at this Bible study out of Isaiah 26 this evening. The Lord will restore the nation. The Lord will restore the nation. Way, way back in Genesis 12, God picked Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a very special nation out of you and a very special people out of you. And well, you know the story. Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had 12 boys, and uh, through Jacob we get the 12 tribes of Israel and the nation of Israel, and then Israel rejected their Messiah, and then for a while the Messiah has pushed to the side Israel as he's worked with the church, the church era. And the only Jews that are involved in the Lord's working right now are the ones who have been saved and are part of the church, which is definitely the minority, but one day, one day God will graft back in the Jews and he will work primarily through Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. And tonight we're going to see this idea that the Lord will restore the nation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for all the wonderful truths that are in it. And the interpretation of Scripture is so vital to rightly dividing the word of truth. But God, the applications are are equally vital as we can make applications that help make us better people. And so, Lord, challenge each of our hearts this evening. Holy Spirit of God, go uh, in and out of the, the pews here and work in each of our hearts individually. Each person's in a different place and each person needs a different thing. But, Lord, ultimately what we need is for you to meet with us. And so help us to set sin to the side and distractions to the side. Help us even to push our uh, uh, tiredness uh, to the side. And, Lord, help us to focus in on what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and so instead of me giving you any kind of a lengthy introduction, we're going to jump right in to verse number one and right in to point number one. If you're taking notes, note point number one, the walls of the righteous city. The walls of the righteous city. Uh, let's look together at the first six verses, then we'll, uh, rather the first three verses, and then we'll uh, break that down little at a time. Verse one again says, in that day shall this song be sung. In the land of Judah. By the way, uh, 24, 25, and 26 are all songs that Israel will sing one day uh, in the new kingdom. Uh, here's the, this song in chapter 26. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls, walls, and bulwarks. Uh, open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Uh, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Let me give you an A to be here. Notice letter A, a city of spirituality, a city of spirituality. Verse number uh, uh, two says, open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. The Jewish people will be, this will be a place of great righteousness and spirituality and right living. A right standing with God will be elevated and held high. What is righteousness? Righteousness is my good standing with God. We talked about this several months ago on a Sunday morning, but you are not righteous if you don't feel welcomed in the presence of God. You are not righteous if you don't feel as though you and God are on the same page and you are uh, right with God. And when I'm walking with 
with the Lord. And I uh, know that my heart is communing with the Lord. And my sins are confessed. And I'm living within His will. Then I am righteous. I'm right with God. I'm in right standing with God. One day the Jewish nation will go from being out of step with the Lord to being in step with the Lord. And uh, Jesus Christ will be high and lifted up. The one they rejected and knelt to the cross will be high and lifted up. They'll be living there with them. It will be a place of righteousness. It will be a, a city of spirituality. What do these walls represent? Look back at verse 1. It says, there we have, we have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. We know in the Old Testament they would build walls around a city. And that wall was meant for protection. They didn't have uh, B-52 bombers that could fly over and air raid a city. And so they would build a tall wall to keep the foot uh, soldiers out and keep the enemies out and people from looting. And uh, a wall was a sign of strength. wall was a sign of, uh, of, of, of guardianship. And, and in chapter 26, verse 1, the wall around the Jerusalem when Jesus rules and reigns will represent salvation. It will be uh, walls and bulwarks. The defense system, the walls will be that of salvation. This will be a city of righteousness, a city of spirituality. Letter B, notice, a city of serenity. A city of serenity. And you can put next to letter A the word righteousness. You can put next to letter B the word peace. The word peace. Look down at verse number 3 with me. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You show me a person who's at peace, and I mean peace inwardly. I'll show you a person who's focused on the Lord. Focused on the Lord. Um, the Bible says that when we are, our mind is stayed on the Lord, meaning you can't be taken off. You're locked on Him, and no matter what comes along, it's not going to knock you off your game. Your mind is stayed on the Lord, and that person has peace within their heart. And this verse is not given with any sort of loophole. This verse is locked tight, solid. It is an absolute. If you are uh, stayed on the Lord, you will have peace. It passes all understanding in your heart. By the way, you don't need peace when things are going your way because you are at peace. You're resting at peace, right? Uh, think about a ship that uh, you wake up on a cruise ship and you look out the window of your room and you see out on the water that it's like a sea of glass. How many of you have ever been on a large body of water when it was at perfect rest and it was like a sea of glass? Brother Jason here was in the Navy. Brother John, Brother John, few of you have been. I've seen pictures. I've never been on a boat like that, but I've seen pictures. Uh, you know what? Uh, peace is easy to come by when times are easy, aren't they? How about when times are not easy? How about when uh, you've gotten news that, that rocks your world? How about when someone's not treated you right? How about when someone's not being kind to you. Can you have peace even when there's problems? The Bible says when our mind is stayed on the Lord, we have peace. I was talking to Brother Bob before the, the, the message tonight, and he mentioned Peter. Peter being a perfect example of verse 3. Peter's walking on the water. You know the story. Peter's walking on the water, and the storm is raging around him, and as long as his mind is stayed on the Lord... He's walking on the water, but as soon as his mind wanders off the Lord and he begins to look at the storm, he sinks like a rock. He sinks like a rock. And isn't that true about us? Look back at verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Take your Bible over to Psalm chapter 85 and verse number 10. There's one more uh, layer of truth here that I want to uncover, and it's this. You cannot have peace without righteousness. You cannot have peace without righteousness. Um, if you do not have right standing with God, there is inner turmoil going on in your heart. I guarantee it. You show me someone who gets angry and blows up on a regular basis, I'll show you someone who has some sort of sin harbored in their heart. You show me someone who uh, has sin harbored in their heart, that has sin habits in their life that isn't right, I'll show you someone who has no peace within their heart. To the degree that your heart is right with God, to that degree 
you have peace. Now, um, uh, righteousness and peace, they work together hand in glove. They are a tandem that must be connected to each other. How many of you have ever been riding down the highway and noticed that you have these tractor trailers that are pulling two trailers behind them? at the same time and they're they're connected there you've got you've got the truck and then you've got a trailer and then you've got a shorter trailer you got another short trailer you go down interstate uh, 80 in in, uh, in indiana and you'll see them pulling a triple there's three trailers being pulled they're in tandem and when you think about those trucks that are in tandem they're connected together think about this god wants you to have the tandem of righteousness and peace being pulled behind you, righteousness and peace. Look at Psalm chapter 85 and look at verse 10. The Bible says mercy and truth are met together. That's a whole separate sermon. Let's look at the last half of the verse here. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Isn't that a beautiful verse? My name is righteousness and my wife's name is peace. Amen? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Uh, It's a great day when righteousness and peace kiss each other in your heart. It's a great day when you know that you're right with God and there's a storm going on in your life, but you have a peace uh, that everything is okay. And uh, uh, listen, uh, this was the, the future Jerusalem one day, the future Jerusalem where Jesus rules and reigns. This will be a place of righteousness. Those that dwell in the city will be in right standing with God. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll have perfect relationship with God. These Jews will come together and they'll worship God. And as a result of that right standing with God within the walls of this city, there will be serenity. There will be Peace. Notice letter A, we see a a city of spirituality. Letter B, a city of serenity. But notice letter C, this is a city of strength. A city of strength. Look back at verse number 1 with me. It says, In that day shall the song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. A city of strength. Strong city. Look down at verse number 4. It says, Trust ye in the Lord forever. For uh, in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength, everlasting strength. There is a strength that will be of unlimited uh, uh, resources uh, uh, within the city. The Lord Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and He will be uh, the omnipotent King that will reign forever. We won't get into this, uh, at least in this chapter, so I'll just slip it in here. You know at the end of the thousand years, Jesus is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. You know how all that comes to an end? Uh, There are people in this world that will be born uh, during that time and uh, people will be given in marriage and children will be born and and many will get saved. Many will put their faith in King Jesus who's physically ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. But there will be a group of people who don't want to follow Jesus and after a thousand years, Satan is going to be released from hell and he's going to come back to this earth and he's going to gather together all of the people that are not on team Jesus. He's going to gather all of them together and he's going to form them into an army and he's going to march them toward Jerusalem for there to be one final battle against King Jesus and then God in heaven just as this army gets to the outskirts of Jerusalem, God in heaven is going to drop a ball of fire right out of the sky and boom, he's going to devour them all at one time. That's going to be how it's going to end. And then Satan's going to be bound up and thrown into hell. Why? Because the city of Jerusalem is a city, uh, the future city of Jerusalem is going to be a city of strength. And no weapon formed against it shall prosper. No one who comes against the city of Jerusalem will win because the omnipotent King Jesus will be reigning within the walls of this righteous city. We see the walls of the righteous city. Notice number two, the way to the righteous city, the way to the righteous city. Now, when we think of the word way, I don't know that we always get the right connotation. Uh, the word way, think of the word highway, highway. Uh, the word way, uh, another synonym for way is the word road or path. And you, you take a way to get somewhere. And in Spanish, it translates great. Uh, our word for way is their way, word for their word camino, which means road. And so think of a road or a path or a way that you travel the way, the highway to the righteous city. The word way is the word used here in the passage. Look down at verse number seven. The Bible says uh, the way or the highway of the just is uprightness. Thou, most upright, dost weigh the path 
of the just. Notice that word way at the end of verse 7. W-E-I-G-H. That word way there in the Hebrew means to make level. To make level. So let's read it in that context. Uh, Thou, most upright, dost make level the path of the just. Now, um, uh, let, let's keep reading down. I want to read all, all four verses and then we'll, five verses, then we'll, then we'll, uh, uh, we'll share our comments. Verse 8, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soil is to thy name, and to the remembrance of thee with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn uprightness. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet uh, will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly, and will not uh, behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see, and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. The way to the righteous city. Uh, the old phrase is, all roads lead to Rome. One day when Jesus rules and reigns in Jerusalem, all ways will lead to, all roads will lead to Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to be the regular gathering of all of the saints. And all of the inhabitants of the world who are righteous and, and believers are going to be invited to gather within Jerusalem. And just as they used to travel down rocky and hilly roads to get to Jerusalem, and uh, in the back of the book of Psalm, you have the songs of degree. Those were sung en route to Jerusalem. In fact, there's an old, uh, there's an old uh, belief, that uh, an old folk, folk, uh, folk tale, if you would, that uh, they would get to the steps to the temple, and as they would take a step up, they would stop, and they would sing one of the songs of degree. And then they'd step up uh, on the next step, and they'd sing one more song of degree and they would sing all of the songs of degree you find in the book of psalms as they made their way up the temple steps into the temple they sang those same songs in route to and you can picture the jews for traveling from afar from all over the world and all over jerusalem uh, in the old testament to get to the feast and that's going to be the same one day except the way will not be difficult and arduous and and rocky no the way will be made level the way will be there uh, uh, the highway will be broadened and the way will be clear. The highway is one of the main themes within the book of Israel. Let me give you an A and a B quickly. Notice letter A, the journey for the just. The journey for the just. Look back down at verse number 7. The Bible says, The way of the just, just, is uprightness. Thou most upright dost weigh or make level the path of the just. Uh, yea, in the way of thy Judgment, O Lord, have we waited for Thee. The desire of our soul is to Thy name and to the remembrance of Thee. Now, before we get into verse 9, what he's saying here is we've waited a long time for the day to come when Israel would be, uh, uh, would be given back the dominance that it once had under King David. You understand that uh, Israel was at its peak of glory under King David and King Solomon. And then because of sin and idolatry, slowly that began uh, to be withered away, whittled down to the place where they were carried into captivity. And the Jews being spread all across the world have uh, waited and still are waiting for the day where their Messiah will come back and will bring about Israeli dominance one again. And, and, and Jerusalem will be the center of the world. And uh, the, they are waiting for the roads to be built. And uh, Jerusalem, again, to be at uh, the epicenter of everything. And so he says here, uh, Isaiah says here that we have waited a long time. It's been our desire. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 9. With my soul, Isaiah says, have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the Lord will learn righteousness. Now, what he's saying here is that the Jewish nation has been waiting day and night for this day to come. But can I just make an application out of verse 9 tonight? The application is this. We ought to have such a strong longing for God that even when we're laying in our bed at nights trying to fall asleep, our heart's desire is to be with the Lord. To be with the Lord. Uh, we're not thinking about uh, what we have to do tomorrow. We're not thinking about the stresses at work. Uh, we're not thinking about uh, the relationship struggles that we have. We lay in bed at night and our mind is stayed on Thee. 
because we trust in Thee, O Lord. And, and, and we are desiring for Thee. Our, our, our heart is thirsty for, for the Lord. And, and look back at verse number 9. It says, For when Thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the Lord, of the world rather, will learn righteousness. Have you ever looked at our world and thought, This is a broken, broken, broken place? I, I know every one of you here has had that thought. You, you see all the sin in the world, and sin is just celebrated. Everywhere you go, sin is celebrated. My son and I were watching a football game some time ago, and I said to Matthew, I said, Now, when a commercial comes on that has sin in it, we're going to uh, uh, make it where we can't see the commercial. We're going to mute the TV and, and put, uh, uh, put up a covering uh, over, uh, an opaque uh, screen up over. Uh, we have a way of doing that uh, with the software we use where we can't see the commercial. I said, but just the beginning of the commercial, we're going to identify how many of, each, how many of the commercials that come on during the next commercial break celebrate or have sin in them. And I think there were five commercials, and I think three of the five commercials had some form of sin, whether it was loosely dressed people or alcohol or uh, lying in the advertisement, just out and out lying and uh, uh, innuendos and, and things of that nature. The world is in rebellion against God. It's, it, it's pushed in our face and they're never going to learn righteousness until Jesus Christ sits in Jerusalem and he rules and reigns and righteousness is taught in classrooms. Taught in classrooms. Uh, we have some public school teachers that work at our church. Wouldn't it be great if you can open up the Bible in class and, and read it and pray and just go back to teaching the Ten Commandments in our public schools? How many of you here are old? Well, there's only a couple of you old enough to remember when the Bible and prayer uh, were in the public schools. And um, Mike, Marie, you too remember that, right? Bob, you probably remember that. The Bible and prayer being in the public schools. And uh, listen, to now that's offensive. We can't have God in the public schools because that offends people. I told someone recently, I said, isn't it interesting that we can't talk positive about the name of God in the classroom, but we can take God's name in vain in the hallway outside of the classroom. And, and, and we can't talk positive about God in the classroom because it offends people, but the Christians that are offended in the hallway, no one seems to care about them. I think I see a little bit of a double standard going on here. God's name can be drugged through the mud and, and, oh, that's okay, that's not that bad. But when we talk positive about God, well, now we're going to go off and offend someone. There's going to be a day where Jesus Christ will be the ruler of this world and His name will be lifted up and held high in every classroom in the land and righteousness will be popular again. Righteousness will be taught. The journey for the just, those who have believed, those who have been saved, Jew and Gentile alike, will make their way down these highways into the city of Jerusalem for a celebration, for a feast. We see the journey for the just. Let her be noticed God's justice for the wicked. God's justice for the wicked. Look down at verse number 10 with me. Verse number 10. The Bible says, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. You know what that means? If you do go ahead and cut a, 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 a wicked man some slack and hope that he'll come around, He's never going to come around. You go ahead and show favor to wicked people in order to try to get them to come around to truth. If they're wicked in their heart, it's not going to work. You go ahead and show that favor, you're wasting your time. Again, look, look down at verse number 10. Let, let, uh, 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 let favor be shown to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. If you let someone who's wicked within the city of Jerusalem, the last place he's going to go is to the palace of King Jesus. He's never going to worship the majesty of the Lord. Look at verse 11. Lord, uh, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them the fire of thine enemies shall devour them those who live in rebellion to the lord those who are uh, 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 contrary to god and god's people they can try to enter the city of jerusalem they can try to mock and belittle and make fun of and even attack king jesus and uh, uh, the way to the righteous city but god's justice will come down and will punish the wicked. We see the walls of the righteous city. We see the way to the righteous city. Notice number three, the warrior of the righteous city. The warrior 
of the righteous city. Go back with me and look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Verses 5 and 6, it says, For he, this is Jehovah, this is the Lord, he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city he layeth it low, he layeth it low, even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the just, our warrior, our Savior, our Jehovah, King Jesus, verse 6, the foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. Listen, it is the bully, it is the proud and haughty that step on the poor. One day the poor will walk in behind King Jesus and they will trounce down the proud. And the poor will be high and lifted up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 tells us we see the warrior of the righteous city. Who is the warrior that sits on David's throne? It is King Jesus. He is our warrior. And you know, in old Bible times, the king did not just sit on the throne and send the soldiers to war. The king was out there with the soldiers fighting the war. And King Jesus will fight our war. He will be our warrior that sets things right. He'll punish the proud and he'll 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 lift up the humble and, and and bring down the haughty and we see the warrior of the righteous city quickly let's look at verses 12 through 16 and let's notice letter a a history of jewish suffering a history of jewish suffering look at verse number 12 the bible says lord thou wilt ordain peace for us for thou also hast wrought all our works in us O Lord, our God, other lords besides Thee have had dominion over us. But by Thee only will we make mention of Thy name. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore hast Thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. I picture the Jews of all of the generations standing there at the throne. And they mention names like Adolf Hitler, who captured them and put them in concentration camps and and killed them. They mention names like Nebuchadnezzar and uh, all of the various um, uh, all of the various uh, kings and rulers of this world who have persecuted the Jews. And and there's there's this sorrow of heart as they recount all of the suffering, the six million Jews under Hitler who were put in gas chambers and killed and tortured and the women that were raped and uh, the experimental medicine that was done to them and all of the wicked, wicked, wicked things. And these Jews gather at the throne and they say to the Lord, they say, you are our king. We find rest in you. We think back to all of the lower uh, lowercase l lords who tortured us and had dominion over us and scattered us across the nations and and and, and dominated us and and, and Nero who, who burnt down uh, the city of Jerusalem and blew up our temple and the antichrist who came in and committed the abomination of declaring himself to be God and then uh, Satan who tortured us through the antichrist at the back half of the tribulation we think of all of the lords that have caused us to suffer as a people, but now we turn and look at our warrior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we at one time nailed on a tree, who now sits on the throne, and we've gotten this thing right. We know You are our King. We know You are our Lord. We know You are Almighty and Omnipotent, and You reign supreme. All of those rulers who oppressed us are dead and gone, and You will reign forevermore. Oh, it's going to be a happy day for the Jewish people when they gather there in Jerusalem and they worship King Jesus, the one they rejected, the one they pushed to the side, the the conquering King who was the suffering servant, the one who died on the cross and was crucified by them. They'll look up at Him and they'll say, You are our King. A history of a Jewish suffering. But notice, let her be a future of Jewish supremacy. A future of Jewish supremacy. Look uh, back with me at verse 15. It says, Thou, Jesus, Thou hast increased the nation. O Lord, Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou 
uh, hadst removed it far into the ends of the earth. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. And we'll see here that the nation is increased. The nation is increased. You remember the first time that Jesus came. Uh, the, uh, 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 Israel was so infatuated with prophecies such as Isaiah 26. They were so focused on what we now know to be the second coming of King Jesus. And they could not see that their Messiah was there not to give them Israeli dominance. He was not there to uh, be uh, the king they wanted. He was there uh, to be the king who would make his throne a cross. He was there to die for the sins of the world. And they neglected Isaiah 53 and they were focused on Isaiah 26. And they lost uh, the fact that Jesus would first have to come and suffer for the sins of the world. And ironically, they would be the ones that would cause him to suffer for the sins of the world. What has Israel always wanted? Israel has always wanted to be put back in the forefront and to have that dominance of Jerusalem and to have the Jewish people be back in the forefront reigning supreme. And one day, Jewish supremacy will be reestablished. King Jesus, the son of David, King Jesus, uh, king under the lineage of David, uh, tracing back to Abraham, will sit on the throne and he will reestablish that Jewish supremacy. The warrior King Jesus will come down out of the sky on his white horse and he'll defeat the enemies of the Antichrist in the battle of Megiddo, he'll set up his millennial reign and he will, there will be a future of Jewish supremacy. We see, number one, the walls of the righteous city. Number two, the way to the righteous city. We see, number three, the warrior of the righteous city. Notice, number four, the woman of the righteous city. The woman of the righteous city. Look down with me at verse number 17 and 18 of the chapter. 17 and 18. The Bible says... Like as a woman with child that draweth near, the time of her delivery is in pain, and crieth out in her pangs, so have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child, we have been in pain, Um, uh, we have, as it were, brought forth wind, we have not wrought any deliverance in the earth, neither have the inhabitants of the world Fallen. Let me give you an A and a B underneath 17 and 18. Uh, notice letter A, the severity of her past pain. The severity of her past pain. Now here, she is talking about um, uh, Israel. Uh, again, we, we think of America as her, right? A, a, a nation would, would consider uh, itself in female terminology. And so the woman here is the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel. And verse 17 and 18 talks about uh, her being in pain as a woman who's giving birth to a child. Now we have a lady who's nine months pregnant in the room. So I'm not going to go into great detail talking about uh, pain because she's getting ready to have to go through that. and We don't need to make it any worse on her. Amen. Uh, But uh, what's being said here about uh, the nation is that they went through a time of great pain and agony. And uh, listen, what makes it so rewarding for a woman who's going through childbirth and uh, the tears and the pain? And, and listen, you women tell us that uh, us men will never know pain like childbirth. And I have to say, praise God that we will never know the pain of childbirth. We all know that if it was up to men to have babies, the human population would have ceased to exist a long, long, long time ago. How many of you ladies in here have a husband who, if you're honest, is a total wimp when it comes to pain, all right? Um, My wife should raise her hand. When I'm sick and in bed, I'm just the biggest baby, and I want to be coddled and bring me soup and uh, 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 take care of me. I don't do well with pain. And uh, Listen, but what makes it profitable uh, for a woman after she goes through all that is when that baby is taken and placed in her arms, and the joy that comes flooding through her soul, that everything I went through, uh, the, the, the jaws of death that I went through to bring about this child, here is the end result, here is the reward, this new life being placed in, in, in the arms. And a woman can go through such pain, but nine months later, a year later, a lot of women are ready to do it again. They're ready to go through it again because of the joy joy of having a child put in the arm is greater than the pain that is endured in having the child. And uh, what, um, uh, we'll look back at verse number 18. 
Look back at verse number 18. The comparison to a woman having a child. Look at verse 18. We have been with child. We have been in pain. Look here. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. There was no child. There was no delivery. There was no reward. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. They're saying we went through such great pain and suffering and there was no reward as a result. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 25. Matthew chapter number 25, and we're doing really well on time. Uh, we got about 15 minutes until uh, uh, target time to be done, and so uh, we can slow down just a little bit here and look at Matthew chapter number 25. Now, last week I took the time to uh, dissect these two chapters up for you between the nations of the world, the Jewish nation, and the church. And I said Matthew 24, verse 4 through 14, was written to the nations of the world. 15 through 31 was written, uh, let's see here, was written to, um, I, I don't have that Bible with those notes, let me just take a quick look here. It was written to the Jewish nation, and then 32 down through 51 uh, was written to the church age saints. And so, look at verse 15. Now, verse 15 picks up right at the halfway point of the tribulation, the three and a half year mark. Look at verse 15, and let's read down uh, through verse number uh, 30, uh, uh, rather, Matthew 25, I apologize. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, we see the parable of the ten virgins. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. This is speaking about the Jews, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessel. With their lamps. Uh, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but Go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man Cometh. Now, this is a peculiar parable. This is a parable that has caused a lot of confusion for a whole lot of people. Now, we need to make sure we understand the audience Matthew 25, 1-13 is written to. It is not written to me and you. It's written to the Jewish nation. And it's written about the true, rather, it's written about the rapture. All right? Look back at the beginning of this, and I'm going to tie it back into our passage here. Uh, it says there uh, that um, uh, the, the, there were ten virgins, and the nation of Israel is compared to ten virgins. Five of them, they all had lamps. Five of them had oil in their vessels, and five of them did not. Now, we know that the Bible is compared to a lamp. Brother Joe, give me the pulpit mic and, and cut this. Uh, here, uh, We know that the Bible is compared to a lamp. What this is saying here is that all ten virgins, the entire nation of Israel, has the truth of the Word of God. They've had it for their, the entirety of its existence. In fact, uh, Moses wrote the five, first five books of the Bible, and those were well in place before Abraham was ever uh, even uh, born, or rather, uh, I apologize, no, that they were not, but they, they, the, the nation of Israel has had the truth longer than any other nation. They've had the lamp. They've had the lamp, but only those that had the oil in the lamp were taken when the bridegroom came. Now, the oil in the Bible symbolizes which of the three of the Trinity? The Holy Ghost. The Jews that believed in Jesus had the Holy Ghost. They had the oil in their lamp. They were taken in the rapture. Those that did not were left behind to suffer during the tribulation. You see, the severity of her past pain. Again, this is being written as they're standing inside the millennial kingdom. 
on the back end of the tribulation. Don't let me lose you here now. Stay focused. This is being written about those Jews that have gone through the tribulation. And they're talking about their time of great suffering during the tribulation. They suffered as though a woman who's going through childbirth, but with no child to be delivered. It was just simply pain. Why? Because when the bridegroom came... They were left behind. They had the lamp. They had the truth. But they had no oil. They did not have the Holy Ghost because they did not. They had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. We see the severity of her past pain. Notice letter B, the source of her past pain. Why was it that she so suffered? To go back to verse number 13 of our text here. I'm going to show you something really interesting in chapter 26 here. Isaiah, look here. It says, O Lord, our God. Other lords, notice that word lords, we're going to come back to that. Other lords besides thee have had dominion over us. That word lords is the Hebrew word Baal. B-A-A-L. Baal. And the word Baal has two translations from the Hebrew depending on its context. The word Baal can mean husband. Or the word Baal can mean the, the God, the idol Baal. The idol Baal. Now let's look back at verse 13 and keep that in mind. O Lord, our God, other Baal, other husbands beside thee have had dominion over us. And again, uh, Israel is compared to a woman. Turn over to James chapter 4 and verse 4. James chapter 4. Right after the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, James. When I was young in the Bible, I knew if I could get to Hebrews, I could find James because Hebrews is a big book back there. And so that's always helpful. Look at James chapter four. Many of you have this verse memorized. Turn there and look at it anyway. James, the half brother of Jesus, is writing this to the Jewish church. Look here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that... For the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world or the systems of the world is the enemy of God. Can I tell you in essence what the Old Testament is about? It's about God picking Abraham and loving on Abraham's seed. And choosing Israel to be its God's choice people, God's choice nation. And Israel playing the adulter, adulteress and running off on God and, 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 and living with uh, uh, false gods and false idols and taking Baal, Baal, uh, fa- false gods like Baal and worshiping that God and allowing that those false gods to have dominion over them. Watch this now. Either the God of heaven has dominion over your life or some false god like Baal has dominion over your life. Really, the Old Testament is about God being jealous over his people. Over and over and over again, he would punish them to bring them back. And punish them to bring them back. And punish them to bring them back. Over and over and over and over again, we see that cycle until eventually the punishing no longer worked. And God turned them over to captivity, where in in, in a lot of ways they still are and will be until Jesus rules and reigns. In Jerusalem, again, this woman, uh, Israel, uh, we see the severity of her past pain. We see the source of her past pain was not God. It was her. Now, by the way, quick application before we move on here. When there is a problem between you and God, it is never God's fault. Do you understand that? God never, ever, 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 ever owes you an apology. Ever. Ever. If there's a falling out between you and God, only one side needs to do the apologizing and it's you. You understand that tonight? A lot of people hold a grudge against God because of something that happened way back in their past. You may be going through something right now where God has disappointed you because of something that happened. I promise you it is not God's fault. It is not God's fault. And if you and God are not in right standing, it is you that's unrighteous, not him. 
And Israel one day is going to come around to the idea after having suffered under the hand of the Antichrist and Satan the last three and a half years of that, persecu- of that tribulation, they're going to come to the place where they worship God and they say to Him, we were like a woman in labor, but we could not give birth. We could not win the war. We could not overcome the Antichrist. Number one, we see the walls of the righteous city. Number two, the way. Number three, the warrior Number four, the woman. Notice, lastly, number five, the water. The water of the righteous city. Look down at verse number 19. Verse number 19, the Bible says, uh, Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that shall, uh, ye that dwell in dust. Look here, for thy dew, thy dew is as the dew or water of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Verse 20, come my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee, hide thyself as it were for a little moment, until the indignation be overpassed, for behold, the Lord cometh out of his uh, place to punish uh, uh, their iniquity, the earth also shall disclose her blood and uh, shall no more cover her slain. Look at letter A, the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Now, we know that there is the, the, the resurrection of the dead, and we know that to be the church age saints. Watch this now. The church age saints only will be resurrected at resurrected at the rapture. It is my strong opinion that the next event on the prophetic timeline is the rapture of the church. Those who have died in Christ during the, uh, during the church era will uh, rise again. See 1 Thessalonians 4 verses, I believe, 12 down to the end of the chapter uh, uh, for that. But when Jesus comes back... After at the end of the tribulation and he brings deliverance uh, uh, against the Antichrist and he wins that war, there will also be a resurrection of the Jewish saints. The Jewish saints will be brought up. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and, and Micah and Malachi and Zephaniah, and all of the Jews who believed in the Messiah who died prior to the church age, they will rise again at the end of the tribulation, but before the the millennial reign. We see the resurrection of the dead. Here Isaiah does not say that uh, this is some kind of reincarnation. No. Uh, the dew of the earth will bring about a new birth of, of the resurrection. It's going to be a miraculous event. And then letter B, we see the rescue of the distressed. The rescue of the distressed. Uh, Matthew chapter number, uh, uh, tw- uh, rather Isaiah 26. Look back at verse 20 and 21. This is referring to the second half of the tribulation. The last three and a half years right before Jesus comes back. Uh, uh, Isaiah says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little a moment until the indignation, that's the wrath of Satan, the fury of the Antichrist, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold the Lord, this is the entrance of Jesus at the battle of Megiddo, behold the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 24 quickly. Matthew chapter 24 and look with me at verse number uh, 15. One of the things I hope it gets accomplished to those of you that are faithfully attending this uh, Bible study through Isaiah is that you're able to put prophecy together a little bit more clear. You're able to take the book of Isaiah and the prophecies of Jesus and Daniel and uh, Revelation and see it all come together like a puzzle. Look at verse number 15. With me here. And again, this is spoken to the Jewish nation. And uh, we see here the time marker uh, of the three and a half year mark in verse 15. And by the way, you put that together with Daniel 9:27, and that's how you get to the halfway mark. It says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And that means, look back to Daniel 9 and make sure you understand what all this means. Look at 16. Then let them, this is the Jews, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck 
in those days, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no ever uh, shall, uh, shall be. Look with me at verse 22, and except these days should be shortened, there should uh, no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Many, many, many Jews will be martyred and murdered by the Antichrist during this time. In fact, many Jews gather in heaven and their blood cries out from the ground for God to avenge their death. You can see Revelation 7 uh, for that. Look down with me at verse number 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so also uh, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jews will be hiding and, and scared and, and, and looking for cover and uh, the, the Antichrist will be murdering Jews in every way he can and then Jesus will come out of the clouds like lightning comes from the east to the west he'll come to the rescue of the distress the water of the righteous city will bring those Jews back to life and they'll uh, in part help serve with King Jesus there in Judea in the millennial reign and there you have Isaiah chapter number 26 circle back around to what we said at the beginning you, you, you only have peace when you have righteousness. You only have righteousness when you have right standing with God. And we need to make sure our hearts are in line with His heart. We need to make sure that our lives are in line with His will for our lives. Then and only then can we enjoy peace because our mind is stayed on, focused on uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that is how we obtain peace through our problems. Let's stand together to be dismissed. I'm glad you were here tonight. I hope you were uh, recharged. You got you plugged in to the spiritual wall and you recharge those batteries and you're ready to head back out in the world and serve the Lord. Let's pray together as we're dismissed or as, as we go. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday morning. One quick thing before we pray, I got to get this in here. We need a handful of couples more to sign up to make our couples retreat worthwhile. And uh, there is a steep fee that we have to pay uh, the, um, uh, the, the hotel there to do this. And really to make this work, we need 20 couples to go. And so if you are a married couple and you've not yet signed up, please, please sign up. If you can't afford to go, come see me. There are some funds available uh, to help couples who can't afford to go to go. We'll keep that private. We'll keep that on the, the down low. This is for married couples. And so please come see me if need be. Uh, see Miss Joanne Owens. And uh, we'll, there's a, a sign up sheet on the table and uh, we'll get you signed up and, and, uh, and, and all that. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for what we've seen and heard. Thank you that peace is available to us through the storms of life. And thank you, Lord, that you've promised us that if our hearts are right with you, righteousness and peace kiss each other in our heart that we can, Lord, enjoy peace through our problems. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day where you do rule and reign in Jerusalem with your people, and we get to be a part of it as Gentiles. Until that day, help us to be faithful serving you. In Jesus' name.